you're a grown up now. You should love your couch. That's like the whole point. My rule with the couch, it's gotta, you gotta be able to sleep on it. That's a rule with the couch. 100%. And my apartment isn't big, but I did get a couch and I was like, how long is it? Because I got tall friends. You know, I want to make sure. My mother had a couch at our house in Colorado. I can't. And I hated the couch more than I've ever hated any piece of furniture in my life. It was scratchy. When you sit on it, you just sink so far into it, but not in a way where you're like, this is soft, in a way where you're like, I don't, here's an example of how I felt about the couch. Tell us. We would have people over and it's a situation where it's a really, uh, what do you call it? An open floor plan? Mm-hmm. Open floor plan. So there's a kitchen and a dining room and a living room all in the same sort of deal. Yeah. I am somebody that always is like, can we just eat dinner on the couch almost? Like, I love being on a couch. Totally. We would have people over to this house, and I would ask them in. I would stand awkwardly near the couch, stare at it, and then just beeline it to the floor to sit on the floor. Or to that's the dining a big, room. That's a to big one for Quinn, room. though, because you love a bead bag. That's a big one for the fact Calm that you would, down. I don't love a bean bag. I do, love my bean bag. You do love a bean bag. I don't gonna, love a bean bag in say, general. Okay. Well, you really, I really love don't. this specific bean bag. Yes. I. Someone once walked into my house and they go, "Wow, it's so feminine." And I don't think of my house as like incredibly feminine. I do have like your house looks like an IKEA model room, in a good way. <laughs> that, isn't that what everyone wants their house to look like? Yes. Yeah. I think that's it's a thoughtful. Good, yeah, and it's the, like somebody geometric put shape. it together yes. and was like, "This is a designed this, and this, and none of it uh, should be offensive or or um, too or drastic." Not, yeah, or something. it's like it's like it's 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 soothing. The I whole think thing is, we're not trying to turn house. you off, folks. We're trying to have a lot of people walk in here and not feel turned off. That's what Ikea does. That's, that's what your really house nice. is. I think no, that's nice. I like to have an inoffensive house, but someone was like, you have a very feminine house. And and I remember being like, huh, like really had to think about it. And I was like, is it because I have like light grays and pinks and light blue? Like, you know what I mean? Like the color palette. I have a wildlife wallpaper in my bathroom. Like, what is it? And it was like, I think it's because this person was married to a dude. And I think that like, the dude she would be did like, it. oh, you painted some of the house pink. <laughs> No, it totally wasn't that way. I think it was, is it's like, they also, maybe this is what it is, is they've been together for so long that I think they're not like looking at a house together and going, hey, let's like change this. Like every decision's a big decision. So they get like a couch. It's like a big decision because they're expensive things. But I feel like there's so many little things you could do to make your house and, and it really affordably so to make it feel nice mm-hmm. for you. Mm-hmm. I got a question. Do you know anything about the origin of gendering colors that way? I'm so interested in why um, pink and blue, pink and purple were like, these are feminine colors. They're not, and you actually, there aren't any masculine colors, meaning like 
There's no color a woman would wear that someone would be like, whoa, masculine color. But a man would get a reaction from like... um, Wearing a pink shirt. uh, Like very pink. God, the amount of times like my brother or dad like wore a pink shirt and people were like, whoa. Like all the dudes were like, whoa, it's a pink shirt on a dude. And they were like... The amount of times people are like, your daughter's adorable. I know. What do you... I mean, I I babysit for kids who get misgendered. You don't want to like draw attention to it, you know, because they're kids. Like kids, as much as they want attention, it has to be on their own terms. No kid just like wants people's staring at them no person for that matter and so like very quickly I'll be like oh she'll have like I'll just correct it like that where I'll like say her pronouns in a way that it's like okay we now know it's passive totally I do that too I also um the one time we got like obviously called out was from a kid because that's the only person who's gonna do that and they were like um, is that a girl or a boy? And I said, that's my son, that's a boy. And she said, then why is he wearing a sparkly unicorn hat? And I was like, because he loves sparkles and he loves unicorns, don't you? And she's like, yes. You know, it was like an eight-year-old. She's like, yes. And I was like, yeah. I think pretty much nobody doesn't like that. Like, everybody likes unicorns and sparkles. And, and pink is a fun color. I kind of and like... saw some wheels turning. Look, I don't think I like... I don't think I'm, you I'm gave not her the, the difference mind. we're looking for. Yeah, but. I don't think. But it's those. <laughs> mi- but I think it's called those micro differences, yeah, right? Yeah, it's like little, we it have a little do. moment where at least it gave you her something like to win. realize. Everyone does love a unicorn, and it's undeniable. Speaking of which, we have to talk about the legally blonde moment. Okay, what do you want to say about it? Here's what I want to say. You want to defend yourself? No, I don't want to defend myself. I want to say the other day I was taught. We were in the car. We were going to that little cute brewery, and. Quinn and Matt were like, yeah, no, we watched, um, yeah, we watched, uh, Lily Blonde. Your favorite the other movie. Day. Your favorite movie. And I, and I looked at them kind of puzzled and I think I went along and I was like, oh yeah, I love that movie. And then I got to thinking and I was like, do you guys really think that's my favorite movie? And they're like, well, you really like it. Right. And I go, when did I ever say like, it's a movie I can watch very easily. I would not say it's in my top five, not in my top 10, probably not in my top 20, maybe not in my top 50 favorite movies. And I was like... Probably not, def- definitely not in my top 50 movies. Like, but it's okay. a movie that's easy yeah. to watch. And immediately I was like, oh my God, did you judge me a little bit? And Matt was like, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> we did. Because you fully we watched it like, and we were like, why so am I Carrie, friends with her? We, Carrie loves this movie. And we kept saying that. I, It like ended and we were like, Carrie loves that. And we just like <laughs> were quiet for a really long time. And we were like, well, <laughs> we like Carrie. Maybe we should look inward. <laughs> At why that's a problem. <laughs> I think we all have guilty pleasure movies. We all have totally. movies that can turn on and like you turn off your brain. And those sometimes we need those situations. I think Jennifer Coolidge in the movie is fantastic. Makes She's great happy to see her in anything. Sure, Tru- truly. But the thing is, you can watch her in good things. Party down. Oh, you can she's watch her in so good things. Great in party down. You can watch her in a uh, what are. Christopher Guest movies. Oh, she's Give so me any good. Christopher Guest movie. You don't need to watch a bad movie to watch Jennifer Coolidge. No, but you have to understand, too, is, like, his, like, I, I really do think, like, um, female leads-wise, at that time when Legally Blonde came, it was, like, undercover feminism in a mm. way where it's, like, it's not, we're not making a big, we're not, like, swinging a large bat here at a big concept. It's kind of, like, look at you can be pretty. There's a lawyer. It's it's not about chasing the man. It's about coming into your oh, own. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. it's a very palatable 
Just like, watch My Cousin Vinny. Adorable and fun and smarter. Totally. Never seen it. Great. You'll love it. I've, I'm making I mean, a list, your readers, of movies I want yeah. Carrie to watch that are movies I think she'll like because I realize, like, Carrie likes movies that are generally movies you could walk away from feeling good. She likes a movie that um, has some funny. She likes a movie that maybe has some heart, for sure. Heart. We love she heart. She likes a movie that is indicative of its time. <laughs> you do. You like a timely movie. so Or like a... I feel like if I could show you like solid great 80s or solid great 90s, you're there for I'm it. I'm there. Most people are. That's a very attractive thing in a film yeah well i also can appreciate the time in which it was made here are my top five favorite movies dear readers (gasps) oh my god don't do it i'm stressed out for you right now okay do it here's what it is fucking do it i'm gonna say no particular order of course okay because i'm not gonna rank i already think it's insane you're doing it go ahead eighth grade away we go up life is beautiful love you rose she did it folks I would never be able to do that, I don't think. I'm really Those proud of like you. Those are like top five. Those are movies. Here's the thing. It's like, and I can't, I don't think I can watch Eighth Grade again. I don't think I can watch Life is Beautiful, La Vian Rose, can't do it. Marion Cotillard, beautiful Edith Piaf, what a gorgeous film. I can't, Up is like the first five minutes, gouge my eyeballs out, I'm down, I'm dead, I'm crying, I'm D-E-A-D, done. Um, away we go. I can't, it's All these movies are movies I can't necessarily watch over and over again. But I think they're so beautiful and they affected me mm. so much. The score of Up. Whoa, that's a so big thing incredible. to say. I gotta think about that. I'm gonna try to come up with a list too. And I like what you said about they affected you. Like, not just a movie you like to watch, but did a movie affect me? That would be a. That, the movie that comes to mind like... for me is The Thin Blue Line, uh, which I should present actually. I'll just do it on the you podcast because it's, it's got a true crime situation totally. attached. I think that's the thing is I, listen, I'm not a cinephile. I don't understand. Like, I'm not someone who's going to watch something and jack off to that. It's like, this is supposed to be one scene, one cut the whole time, and it's incredible, creative. And by the way, when I say that, that's not me dissing the artists who did it. That's not me saying that they're not worthy of that praise because they fucking are. Like, when I saw um, The Revenant, Leonardo DiCaprio... That's the one where he played a guy who, like, was freezing and he hid inside a live buffalo. Oh, I watched it on a plane. Go on. Aggressive watch. When I watched Aggressive that, I watched watch it agree. Oh. I think I was laughing during it because the I was so uncomfortable that I was watching horrifying. it on a plane. And I was like, this is insane. That bear scene the is bear attack insane. Is, so, so I watched it in a, in a movie theater. Because that's the other thing is when I was on the road, I watched it in movies with, like, when I don't ever been like I'm gonna go to a movie but if someone invites me to a movie I'm fucking there yeah I'm kind of just a yes and girl always and we watched The Revenant and the and I remember at the end of it it was at a movie theater that you could order food and I think we might have ordered popcorn or by the time we could have ordered popcorn we both lost our appetites completely and thoroughly and then we left the theater and like didn't talk to each other and we were like should we get food? Yeah, totally. And it was like days. So that affects me, but that's not... I I like Should stories. we get food or should we crawl inside a horse? And I was like, I'm going to only get vegetarian options, please. <laughs> please, I can't look at me. I can't look at meat. I can't. I know we're on this movie tangent, but I do feel like we should start. But I also feel like we should say what happened today. 
First, let's talk that we're, you're listening to Truly Darkly Creepy. I'm Quinlan Posner. And I'm Carrie Ipema. And you're about to hear... A really scary story. That's true. And happened to me. And to yes, Carrie. And to me. Where do we want it to... How, how do we tell the story? Um, I'll tell it from... I don't know which perspective Matt's is perspective. better to go first. I mean, I can tell my perspective is that we were at the beach today... Mm-hmm. As a family, my family is comprised of Carrie, Matt, <laughs> Koa, and Griff. I do wonder if people are like, are they a throuple? Like, I do wonder if there's like God, a vibe of like, is speculation. Please let there be speculation, speculation. I was really thinking, I was like, I gotta get a boyfriend. Get a speculum, on these. cry it open, and speculate, okay? <laughs> so, um, Griff was having a hard time, so I went to do a beach walk with him in his stroller so he would do a nap. And I walk up the beach with intention, and I'm piecing out. Matt, meanwhile, is goofing around with Koa on the beach, and there's one of those, uh, uh, what do you call this? A pier. Yeah, a pier. And so they're under it where all the pylons, is that the word? Yeah. They're, they're, okay. The, the structural, they're, it's holding up the structure of the pier. They're goofing under there. Beams. That's where I leave them. I go on a pretty long walk. When I get back, they're still there. No big deal. As I approach, Matt looks at me and bursts into tears. And I'm like, what? And he's like, I lost Koa. Koa's with him when he's telling me this. And I'm like, what happened? And he's like, I lost Koa. And he's like crying. And it was really traumatizing. So I'm hugging him. And I'm like, it's okay. It's okay. He's here now. It's okay. Whatever happened, it's okay. Um, and bravo for me, right, guys? And I'm just so glad you weren't there for that moment. Everyone feels so glad I wasn't there. But what happened when I went on this walk? So here's what happened. Now we do Carrie's perspective, folks. Matt, and correct me if I'm wrong. Matt, Matt, feel free to correct us if we're wrong. He's doing our dishes. Let him do it. He's fine. What happened was is we, Matt went to go like pee behind one of these pylons and Cole was right behind him. And because you're a dude, you can just whiz wherever the fuck you want. But that's not what this kind of story is about. He like pees, turns around. Cole was right there behind him. Cole is gone. gone. Lickety split gone. Lickety split. Like he vanishes. Now he's next to an ocean. It is a crowded boardwalk beach. It is like, it is a tourist trap. So it's a lot of people there. You're not seeing a random kid here and there. It's just covered in children. And so Matt starts like scanning and Matt immediately like talks to this photographer and she's like, what are you missing? He's like, my three-year-old. She like talks to people she's photographing. She said, they, do you like, want me to run t- and tell the lifeguard while well, you stay right here? Because Matt didn't want to move because he had that feeling of Cohen knows where I am and it's a huge beach. I can't move. She ran and got a lifeguard. She had a family. And Matt said it looked like they'd done this before. Because Where they, like, huddled like, up and she was like, you, here, go, there, go. He's and wearing a shark swimsuit and has a unicorn hat. Go! And, like, everyone, <laughs> and like, like, disperse. Like, dispersed. So this is happening. I'm sitting by our stuff. I really kind of, like, won the day on that. Like, Quinn and I were chatting and she's like, oh, I would love to read a book. And then Cole, like, went to go. And you're like, okay, now I have to go with him and you had to do the long walk. So I'm sitting by this stuff, like, hanging out. The umbrella flies away. That's not important. I, I'm i hanging out at the the towel, and Cole walks up to me, and he's like, Carrie, I got you these a gift. They're these shells, and they're these, like, really cool, long... I think they were razor clam shells, but razor, They're really long. They're really weird. 
he hands him to me. And the first thing I do is I'm like, where's Matt? Where's Quinn? And so I like scan the area and I'm like, there's no Matt. There's no Quinn. This kid just ran up to me, which fucking props to you, kid. You found me. But like, where's mom and papa? And I said, does mama know where you are? He goes, no. And then there I was like, oh no. And then I go, does papa know where you are? He goes, no. And then I was like, okay, can you hold my hand? Let's start walking back. So I walked him back and he just held onto his little hand and he was like chatting, talking with me, all that stuff. And I see Matt like sprinting Baywatch style, like just like, I've, he was like scanning, felt like a Computer, oh, I'm doing wow. a computer. Yeah, he was like running, and he was like sprinting, and I could see him like looking up at the beach at the crowds of people, and so I start going, Matt, 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 and Koa hears me doing it and sees me, and he just goes, Matt. <laughs> he starts running, and Koa sees me, or I'm sorry, Matt like locks eyes with me and Koa, and he like does this where he's like here, and then he goes. And I saw, like, him breathe, like, yeah. like a uh, fucking crazy, crazy sigh of relief. And I'm holding Koa's hand. Koa's screaming, Matt, Matt, Matt. Matt comes up, like, both relieved and, like, defeated of the adrenaline rush that was just coursing through his veins. Mm-hmm. He gets down on his knees and he looks at Koa and he just, like, grabs Koa's shoulder and his head goes down, like, <sighs> like, I can't. Oh. And I, like... I was like, are you okay? He, like, nods. And he gives Koa. And I go, I go, Koa, do you see, like, Papa was really scared, is what I said. I don't know if that's... But I was like, Papa was really scared. And I was like, Matt, what do I need to do? He's like, I gotta go. He's like, Koa, so many people were looking for you. We have so many people were helping, looking for you. We didn't know where you were. And Koa was like, well, I had to go get shells to carry. So anyway, so... Matt's like, Carrie, you go back at the um, blanket so to watch all of our stuff. So I go back and I'm like, I didn't know that you were not there yet. I didn't know anything that happened. Thank fucking God. I can't even imagine. And then Matt takes Koa, and I didn't know this. Matt took Koa and he brought him to every person who was looking for him. To so thank that, them. To thank them and to show, like, which yeah. I think is a really cool thing. Well, he also wanted Koa to kind of sit with the magnitude. Of how many people. Oh, absolutely. I knew exactly why he was doing that. But I thought that was... Yeah, although Koa probably was like, this is great, I have all these new friends. I have no idea what Koa thinks. Like, I don't know how his brain works. Actually, I do have a little preview. Hmm. We were walking out, so we left the beach like an hour later or whatever. Mm -hmm. We left the beach and... um, Co and I were looking at a roller coaster going through, and you two went ahead of us, and I was walking with Koa. And there was a guy there, and Koa just loves to say hi to everybody. So he just goes, hi. And this guy's like, hey, how was your day today? And Koa's like, good. And then he goes, well, it made my dad a little sad in the middle. <laughs> and he's like, let's talk again. Matt was like, come on, Cole, we gotta go. And he didn't realize he was telling him. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry I interrupted. Like, thank you for telling that story in a non-ironic way. Yeah. But Cole, what Cole led with, just so you know where his mind is, is he was like, I made, made my Papa dad a little sad. sad. Well, scared is the operative word. Yes, tears followed. But my God, like. He didn't see the fear. He saw the relief and the sad. He, he didn't see. The fear. Cole never saw fear. Oh, we, we should have acted something. it out for him so he could internalize it. 
Was that healthy or dangerous? I don't no know. idea. I don't but know. Had, but I wanted him to be like, I'm like, oh, if you could understand. I don't know. Gives, wait, hold on. Let me grab a beer. Um, who's first? Um, so I got this information from Wikipedia, USA Today, ABC News, San Diego Union Tribune. This story will revolve around the Anderson family. They're based in California. There's a family of Brett, Christina, Hannah, who's 16 years old as their daughter, and Ethan, who's eight years old. And this family is really good friends with this guy, James Everett Lay Di DiMaggio. Let's just call him DiMaggio. So he's 40 years old, and him and Brett, the father of the family, are like best friends. He meets the family when um, Christina is like six months pregnant with Hannah, so he's been in this family for a long, long time. He becomes essentially an uncle to their kids. He takes them to all their activities. He does holidays with them. He loves their kids. He's seems like a really present uncle figure for these kids. They call him Uncle Jim. Um, and there are reports that like when Hannah was having a hard time with her parents, she would write letters to Uncle Jim, like asking for his advice. He would take her to like gymnastics or cheerleading or pick her up. That was like a pretty normal practice that he did. But on one of the trips to gymnastics with Hannah, he had mentioned that he was like, oh, if we were the same age, we would totally date. Hmm. Uncle Jim, no, 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 no. And then when the two of them were in L.A. because he traveled with the family and stuff, at one point he was like, I don't like that you're not paying enough attention to me. Or like he felt neglected by this 16-year-old girl. Not okay. Just so you know, it's going to get worse from here. Also, so like, need a 16-year-old. This is a 16-year-old who's 40 is- years old. Fucking get a life. She's looking for someone who helps her and supports her through life. You're looking for a young yes, we're woman. About to find out. You know, I'm not interested. Hannah mentions to her friends, she's like, you know, I really don't like being alone with my Uncle Jim. And, you know, he's kind of like creeping me out. So that's like a conversation she's having, which is great that she's having that Let with her friends. Let people know. Let people fucking Trust know. Trust your blank. Weirdly, Uncle Jim stayed with Brett's mom. Like, that's how close he was with the family. He stays with Brett's mom, so their grandmother. And at one point, he changes his beneficiary to his life insurance to Brett's mom. Weird. His reasoning, apparently, was that so the kids got the money, because I guess he didn't trust, like, Brett and Christina or something. The husband, his best friend, to distribute it that way. It's like, then why don't you just leave it to Ethan and Hannah I feel like then he, I feel like what happened is he just wanted to leave it to Hannah and he felt like he couldn't, but I don't know. That's, I guess it's speculation because we just know that he changed his life insurance beneficiary information to Hannah's grandmother, Brett's mother, when he crashed with them. He told Hannah, he was like, I have like a crush on you, but like, it's a family crush. He didn't want anything bad to happen to her. That was his way of communicating in my eyes, I'm like, you're a 40-year-old guy who's trying to justify your crush to a 16-year-old to not scare her, but also to feel it out. Like, it's fucking obvious what he's doing. Completely. Um, I also wonder if in his own head he was, like, having inappropriate feelings and being like, just obviously I'm just being protective of her. Like, I want her to be mine, but so I can protect her. Like, 
that's like trying totally. to call it like a noble thing instead of a shitbag thing. Instead of a shitbag thing. Well, don't worry. The shitbag lies in there and is dormant. Well, oh, I'm not, not worried. Dormant. I know it's, it's, we know about it's to wear its ugly fucking head. So Brett is out of town on a job for like three months. They're in California. And I read some conflicting reports of like, were they married or like, were they separated? Whatever it was. I don't know if they had marriage troubles. Either way, he's gone for three months, um, and she's alone with the kids, and Uncle Jim is slated to move to Texas for work. So he wants to spend as much time with the family as possible before he leaves town, and he invites Christina, Ethan, Hannah, and their dog, Callie, to spend the night with him on August 3rd, 2013. He's like, come on over to my house, we'll hang out. Um, Hannah, you have school the next day, and or like a cheer camp. I'll make sure to pick you up from cheer camp when you're done. Like you'll do your activities, blah blah blah. So they all spend the night there at, at Uncle Jim's house. The next day, Hannah goes to cheer camp, and Uncle Jim is set to pick her up. She calls him a bunch of times to confirm. I guess she texts him as well to be like, "This is where I'm going to be. Here's what time. Just make sure you're here. Okay, I will see you." He picks her up from chair on August 3rd, and they're gone. Gone. On August 4th, the next day, the police are called. Jim DiMaggio's home is currently burning, is up in flames. What? Inside, they discover Christina, (gasps) the mother, Ethan, (gasps) and the family dog. What? His house is in flames. Also on August 4th, Hannah's grandmother is like, I don't know where the kids are. She calls the police, files a missing person reports for both Hannah and Ethan because they don't know the body in the house is Ethan, eight-year-old Ethan at this point. So this is in 2013. This is the first time Amber Alerts were sent to cell phones. So this is the first time an Amber Alert was sent to cell phones in the state of California was for this case. So the bodies in the house, Christina had died before the fire started. She was tied up with plastic cable ties at her ankles. She was duct taped around her mouth and neck. She was hit 12 times with what they believe is a crowbar over her head. And she died from blunt force trauma. Callie, the dog, was shot and covered with a sleeping bag. And little Ethan, he died in the fire. Um, He had some skeletal fractures, but they believe he just died in the fire. Oh my God. So a a manhunt starts, so the Amber Alert goes out for Hannah and Ethan, and then when they identify the body as Ethan, then they change his manhunt looking for Hannah. Hannah's with Jim DiMaggio, he tells her that if she leaves, he's going to kill her. He tells her that um, if anyone tries to rescue her, he will kill them. He does not mention anything about her family or what happened at his house. Nothing. Mm -hmm. The manhunt for her goes between British Columbia, Canada and Baja, California, Mexico. Oh, dang. they are completely the entire state of California, the entire fucking West Coast. Yeah. So on August 7th, 
two people who are horseback riding in Idaho, they noticed these two people walking around. It was a blonde girl wearing pajama pants and some torn up sneakers and this older guy who was holding a gray house cat. And they're like, that's a little weird. They're like, you guys look a little kooky. A little kooky. And the next day they see a report in the news and they see that the two people they saw match the description. So they Mm -hmm. call the police and the police are like, actually, Jim DiMaggio has a fucking gray house cat. That checks out. Where did you see him? So fortunately, this manhunt after four days, like got a little bit smaller. They also found his car near Frank Church River to No Return Wilderness, which is in Idaho. That's the name of the location. I don't love that name. Yeah. Doesn't sound great. A little bit ominous. The car, the license plates have been removed and it's been hiding. He like tried to cover it with some foliage. They find out before he had kidnapped her, he had bought all of these camping supplies and they saw it was like a blue tent Mm -hmm. is what they had. So now they've like narrowed down this location. So that's when they start getting aerial views of it. They have these cameras and these planes where it flies over it. They look down. They're like, I don't know if I see it. It flies over again. Like, oh, that looks like something. They get an even bigger plane or better equipment and then they're able to zoom in and they're able to confirm it's the two of them. So they drop off like Operation Seals or whatever, Black Hawk down a helicopter mm-hmm. to try to find them, and they cover uh, the radius and they or they cover the area where they can locate the tent. And so they wanted to surprise him because they don't want him to pick up and leave and go further into the woods, and they lose him again. So they're going super slow, and they see Hannah waving her arms <gasps> like, "Help me! Help yeah, me! Yeah, help yeah. me!" So the the team comes to try to intervene and they know he's armed or they know he's obviously fucking dangerous. The (gasps) people on the ground are in battle, right? And they're communicating with the um, tower and they hear shots fired, one down hard, and then jackpot. They kill Jim DiMaggio after he opens fire on them. They kill him and they get her. Great. He is shot six times in the head, arms, and upper torso. Hannah is not injured at all, but she's obviously taken to the hospital for crisis and trauma. Mm -hmm. And it's the FBI that tells her what happened to her mom and her brother and her dog. Soon after, her father comes and meets her at the hospital, and, and she says it helped, like, their relationship, their bond got stronger. Because they're the only ones left in their family. Totally. I mean, they're in... I can't imagine. And so Jim also, died. why did he have to do that? It feels so, so unrelated, sort of. About... It's like you wanted to kidnap this 16-year-old girl and, like, have her be your girlfriend under duress and, like, rape her. That was your plan. By the way, there's been no confirmation of what happened at the camp, and I'm okay with that, right? Like, we don't know. I can assume, but I don't well, want to. Well, we know to. intention. We can totally. understand intention. And she's 16. She's a child. All I'm saying is... Why do you have to kill her family? That, it doesn't... What, you thought her eight-year-old brother was going to come after you? Fuck you, dude. Like, really? I wonder if they knew something. There had to be something that happened. I mean, also the amount of, like, premeditation. Because we bought the camping supplies beforehand. Right, I, right. I have to. I have to imagine that that was the plan. You know, very, he wasn't like, very I hateful. think I want to go camping. Oh, and then a couple days later, you know what? I think I actually just might kidnap Hannah. And 
here's the thing. The guy's not alive, so they can't question. They can't ask. The only eyewitness they have is Hannah, right? And she's a 16-year-old. And what they found are some emails where he communicated that he didn't want her to grow up, that he didn't want her to leave her. So a lot of their motive, they think, is that he was afraid she was going to grow up and find someone else to love that wasn't going to be him. So his solution was taking her completely out Right. Of that situation. Out of rotation. Out of rotation. So she can't. You're on the shelf. You're elf on the shelf. You're done. Yeah. Um, when she when she gets rescued very shortly after she started posting things on social media, she's a 16-year-old. It's 2013. She's posting shit. And it rubs some people the wrong way. I'm not here to adjudicate that. I'm just letting you know because there's some fucked up shit that I do want to cover in this case, that makes me upset. Because as soon as I mentioned that there were letters from her and phone calls and text messages, mm-hmm. and what happens is the police discover this and they're like, wait a minute, was she in a relationship? Which, by the way, that doesn't exist. It's She's 16. She's 16 years old. He's 40. That doesn't exist. It's not a fucking relationship. But people in social media start to doubt her as the true victim. Social media starts to pin her, like, knowing something else. Like, why don't you tell my family and we'll run away together? I don't know if that's... That I haven't read, but that seems like what's the thing that's left unsaid. That's the suspicion. Yeah. People are thinking that she had much more power and autonomy in this, and I'm here to tell you... She's a kid. She didn't. She's a fucking child. When all this stuff was coming up about, like, is she truly a victim, um, the San Diego County Sheriff, Bill Gore, released a statement that said that she was a victim in every sense of the word. And I thought that was a really powerful thing for the police to be like, we have all the information. She is a fucking victim here. Yeah. Let's just fucking chill the fuck out. We have no Mm -hmm. reason to believe that she had any part, any untoward on her behalf. Jim DiMaggio had put her grandmother as the beneficiary of his life insurance policy. He's dead. So when it goes to pay out to Brett's mother, the DiMaggio family tries to get a paternity test done for Ethan and Christina, thinking, oh, those are his kids, which is insane after all this happens because DiMaggio's family doesn't believe he does any, he did anything wrong. There's more They're like, that was his daughter? They're like, this was his daughter. We should check the paternity. And Brett was like, there's no fucking way it's his daughter. My yeah. wife, we met him. We met him when my wife was six months pregnant with Hannah. Oh. And I had to give my DNA to confirm that Ethan was the body they found at the body at the that was the body they found at the house that Jim, Jim DiMaggio burned fucking down. So don't fucking play that. They withdraw their request. Thank God. Hannah talks about her mom and her brother and how she wishes she could have done something to save them. Of course she does. But she says that her mom had a really strong heart and she says that her mom raised her to be strong and she credits this strong spirit and her mother for helping her cope and get through all of this. Of course, there was a Lifetime movie made of this story called Kidnapped, the Hannah Anderson story. Where DiMaggio is played by Luke from Gilmore Girls, which to me feels like it's okay. telling us yes, but it's telling a story, right? Right. And in the trailer, it has Hannah Anderson, the sixteen-year-old girl, depicted as a sixteen-year-old girl, 
And what the actors are, uh huh. And the actors are what, like five years apart instead of thirty. She's like like twenty. Like the girl plays Hannah Anderson is like twenty, and he's like so damning. It's Luke Luke from Gilmore Girls, but that's so ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Like the whole point is like the very important point we're trying to make over and over again is you need to look at what a sixteen-year-old girl looks like, and you need to look at that juxtaposed with a forty-year-old man. But here's what's so and crazy that ain't to me. It. And that ain't fucking it. And also it has her like posting like short shorts on social media. It just fucking no. victim right. blames the skip. shit out of this. Okay, skip it. So she's upset at the trailer. She gets lawyer. She's like, fuck this. I did not consent to this image. Go fuck yourself. And in the article I read about it, it talked about her um, being 18 months after her rescue and how she had finished junior year and she, and she was in senior year and she had a 3.8 GPA and she was looking into colleges and wanting to study forensics and criminology and wanted to work as a detective in the SVU. Was doing my research and I came upon an article and I'm going to cite it because it is a horrible, horrible place and I want to call them out for being terrible fucking people. It's called the Christian Science Monitor. That's wow. the name of the you publication. Should know. You should have <laughs> And I like I, I look at everything and then I, you know, I, and then I, but I saw this and it was like the real story. What could have possibly, and all of it's speculation. They don't have fucking evidence, but here's some of the things that they said that'll just make your blood boil. They said, he quote, tricked her. They put tricks in quotes. Like he tricked her to visit the house before escaping with her to the Idaho wilderness. Right. Very. They say, Escape with her. Mm -hmm. It just makes my blood fucking boil because she's 16 years old and you're a Christian science monitor. Well, it's like taking a It's being like they were in a relationship that was complicated. And you're like, no, No, they weren't. It wasn't Um, complicated. It was a child and an adult and one was a murderer. You're claiming all this stuff. For the record, she was at fucking cheer camp. When all this shit went down at the house, are we completely discrediting the fact that he killed two people, an eight-year-old child and a mother? What part of that is the question mark for you? Mm -hmm. You think this 16-year-old convinced him to do it? Go fuck yourself. There's only one person convincing anyone of anything, and it's him trying to convince her, and she was like, this guy's fucking creepy. The other thing I want to leave you with is just an interesting tidbit of information. Jim DiMaggio, he died on um, August 10th, right? Mm -hmm. About 15 years prior, his father died on that exact day, Mm -hmm. August 10th. And his father was accused at the time of attempting to kidnap a 16-year-old daughter (gasps) of his ex-girlfriend. No. In 1988. Wild. Same story. Nature or nurture, nature or nurture. We'll That's confusing. Know. What's that about? He kills himself on August 10th, and then 15 years later, or 15 that or so years really later, crazy. his son who had kidnapped a 16-year-old was shot by the police. That is completely wild. Anyway, that's the story of Hannah Anderson. Not to be confused with the adorable long underwear company. It was tough. I'm going to tell you right now, real, real interesting bag trying to find the uh, sources. And then I get fucking Christian Science Monitor. I said, go fuck yourself in my research because it was that offensive. 
Agree. Agree. I'm going to tell you the story of Reverend Maxwell. My information was, my main article was sent to me by father-in-law, Craig. <gasps> Thanks, Craig. Um, it's yeah. an article from The Guardian, actually, that's by Casey Sepp, who also wrote a book that I did not read called The Furious Hours, which is all about this and sounds like a really insanely good book. Um, I also read an article in the New York Times by Michael Lewis and the New York Times by Ray Jenkins. Basically, what's interesting about this case is the way that it's framed in all these articles of how they write about it, which is that they frame it by being like, remember Harper Lee? Yeah. To Kill a Mockingbird. She was 34 when she published that. And then everyone's like, it's her first book. And they're like, now what? Now what? Now what? Now what? Aren't you? I mean, if you guys could see Carrie, exactly. Like that's not okay to say. Under pressure. Dun, 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 dun. Not a good place to be. She didn't do anything. She worked for years, though, on a true crime book that she never wrote. Wild. It's about what I'm about to tell you about. She had like, I don't know. I think she was a person that she had a lot going on that people didn't know about. She was a really heavy drinker. I feel like she had this relationship with writing where she was really good at it, but that doesn't mean she loved it. Like, right. I think it was really painful for her to do it. And I think especially... That shit's hard. Yeah. And it was a struggle. And I think she was really afraid to fail. Sep basically takes this story and writes a book not just about it, but about Harper Lee's struggles. And that's the Furious Hours. So, Oh, he's like weaving the tales together. It's like, don't even listen to the rest of this podcast. Just buy that book. <laughs> Goodbye. But if you, but if you have like... If a, you have the time to do both, sure, sure, sure. Well, if, sure, you have sure. Like, if you don't have like a couple days, but you have like, you know, 30 minutes, just stay with us. We'll, okay. We'll talk you through it. Fair. So here's what we know about Willie Maxwell before he becomes reverend. Um, He joined the Army, served as an aviation engineer in a base in Utah during World War II, and then after the war, re-enlisted. Wow. I know. Good for you. Drove trucks for the Army Corps of Engineers in... I think it's just Corps. I don't think you say Corps. Yeah, (laughs) Corps. I was like, that's... I think I also spelled it Corps, just for the record. It's spelled C-O-R-P-S. I know, but I spelled it like Corps. Listen, it's really hard. We're all doing Reading our best and writing here. are hard. Reading, okay. writing, Ask Harper Lee. She had a tough time, too. <laughs> <laughs> Guys drove trucks for the Army Corps, you know? Um, <laughs> promoted to sergeant, sure. Love a promotion. Scored a good conduct medal. Again, Sick. good for you. In 1947, he gets married, lives in Alabama, and becomes a triple threat. He works at a textile mill. That's a hard thing to say. That you textile just... mill. Thank you. You said textile mill. Textile mill. He works at a <laughs> textile mill. A share as a sharecropper okay. and becomes a reverend. Triple threat. Guy loves to lead. That's where we get the name in our story. Reverend Maxwell. August third, nineteen seventy. The police discovered that his wife, Mary Lou Maxwell, was found in her car dead. She's in really bad shape. She's totally beat to a pulp. Like part of her ear is missing and they find it in the back seat. 
It's bad. What looks like happened is somebody was beating her up and strangled her. She fought back. And they beat her to death. Oh, my God. But their neighbor, Dorcas Anderson. Dorcas Anderson. No relation to the other Anderson family. No. Is like... Dorcas, though? Russ. Okay. Okay. She's like, hold up. Mary Lou came to my house last night and said, my husband's car broke down. I got to go pick him up and left. So got a call, presumably from the reverend, left. Then this happened. So the cops start to poke around and they find a few things out about our reverend. One is he loves the ladies. Um, He also spends a lot more than he earns. He owes a lot of people money, institutions, and he had taken out several life insurance policies, Mm -hmm. of course, on Mary Lou. Oh, Jesus. One so recently, he didn't even need to renew it. He took it out, and bam, it's cashing in. There's no forensic evidence, though, that places him there. There's nothing physically linking him to the crime. So they go to trial, and here's the thing. The big damning thing is the thing I just told you, right? The Dorcas said. But guess what? It's not Dorcas recants yeah. her testimony. And this ultimately leads Jesus to the Christ. reverend's acquittal. And in 1971, only about a year after this, mm-hmm. they find another body in a car on the road. It's the Reverend's brother, Columbus Maxwell. Cause of death, excessive consumption of alcohol and exposure. A year after that, the Reverend's going to get hitched again. Do you want to know who he's marrying? thousand percent. Yes. Dorcas? Remember that? Of course. He's marrying Dorcas? He's marry Dorcas, who wouldn't testify against him. Dorcas Anderson, congratulations. Problem was, Dorcas had been married previously. But don't worry, her husband died an untimely death. You know what? Leaving her free to single, mingle styles. She's going to marry Reverend Maxwell. Ugh, this town is too small. They're newlyweds. They're married a year Old habits die hard. She's dead? Yeah. She's going to die. She's found dead on the floorboard of her <gasps> automobile, not far from I'm their okay. home. okay. The Reverend had taken out, get ready, How 17 many? insurance policies on her life. No. Yes. And they, they call her cause of death acute asthmatic bronchitis. Which is very similar, by the way, to just suffocation. That is... Ay, 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 ay. All right. So now we're in 1974. Three years since Dorcas died. Well, three years since Mary Lou died. Two years since Dorcas died. He gets a third wife, Ophelia. Ophelia Burns. That name's a waste. Three... That's a great... No, but but Ophelia Burns? Wouldn't that have been good? Yeah, but you can't choose your last name. You can choose your first name. All right, all right, all right. Wait a minute. So he's with three wives in three years. Two of them are dead. Yeah, you're like, Ophelia, what are you up to? What One thing you should excuse. know that might change your mind is that Ophelia was actually indicted but never tried for the murder of Mary Lou. 
she's basically suspected of being this whole what? time his mistress accomplice helping him shuttle to and fro from the crime Shut scenes the fuck up. from all these murders. Shut the fuck up. So they have a gaggle of kids, not biologically, but from previous marriages and adoption between them. The Reverend has a few sons and a baby daughter. He's raising a son that he had with Dorcas, but he's not raising Dorcas's older sons who were hers with someone else. His daughter, who he had with another woman, none of the ones I listed today, lives with her mom, not with him. And it's a good thing, too, because I also read in a couple things that he took out a life insurance policy on her. And she's like a baby. That guy should have no more life insurance policies. Don't let that guy come visit. Ophelia has some older children that don't live with her. She also has a daughter, not by blood. It was like a relative of hers had her. Totally. She took her in. Right. Shirley and Allington. So that's their little family. Them and Shirley, pretty much. Let's hop ahead now. Three years to 1976. Maybe that's two years. Listen, I'm not here to do math. There's another dead body found in a car. It's Reverend Maxwell's nephew, James Hicks. His car ran off the road. But they checked the body and they're like, we can't really was pretty tell. much dead when it yes, did that. Yes, they're like, this accident doesn't seem like it's what killed him. They list his death as natural causes. That does not sound natural, guys. Figure it out. Well, that he like might have died from a heart attack and then veered off the road. But like, Right, but mm. the other thing about veering off the road is the car looks like it didn't veer. It looks like it was fucking parked there. Like there's, uh, whatever, under, there's underbrush around that's not been... It hasn't, like... Squashed. Like, yeah. it doesn't have the feeling of a wreck. There's stuff nearby that's very undisturbed. Right. Okay, they do an autopsy, and they're like, we just, we don't know why he died. So, the reverend goes to see his lawyer, knowing full well he fucking needs to, hmm. and he's like, he says, and I quote, they won't find any evidence. Which is a very haunting thing to say if you're coming from a perspective of, well, why the fuck would you know that? What do you know about this crime scene, basically? Totally. James Hicks's wife, though, is like, uh, hi, guys. The Reverend killed him. Definitely. What was his he motive? Was, well, this is what she says. The Reverend was driving behind us one night with Ophelia a few weeks ago. So we pulled over, and James got out of the car and went to go talk to him. And when he got back in the car, I was like, what was that about? And he's like, oh... They just want my social security number. They are doing this life insurance policy. And I know what you're thinking, but actually the beneficiary was the reverend's sister. But they do this handwriting analysis and they can figure out the reverend's the one that filled out the policy. Can you imagine how haunting to like, they're following him and they pull him over and they're like, just go get your social real quick. Just doing this paperwork. Send him a text. Call him. My God. Here's the thing. Because I just told you they can't figure out how he died or anything. They don't. They don't have a homicide. murder. So then they're not investigating a murder. So the end, you know. Oh, Um, Jesus. The insurance companies do pay. Some are really trying not to and are kind of like, this looks weird. But when they give him trouble... Reverend Maxwell gets a big lawyer. He hires this guy, big, literally, Big Tom Radney is his name. (laughs) How fucking To Kill a Mockingbird is that name? So Radney's helping him because he's hired to do so. He helps him collect more than $500,000 in in today's money. 
And people start calling his office, Radney's office, the Maxwell house. Like, the coffee. coffee. But they're calling it because they're like, oh, that's how, like, they're a team getting this money. Totally. Everybody's freaked out in town. They're not idiots. They're not blind. And rumors are spreading. The rumors are also saying, we think this guy practices voodoo. And that's how he's maybe killing people. Because it's so weird that they're all dying in cars in these mysterious ways. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's magic. Who's he going to kill next? So Just look at who he has a life insurance policy. Right. Don't that's get next. too close. Ophelia and Reverend Maxwell are... You know, not beloved in their town. Uh, they're like, everyone thinks they're killers. They're everyone thinks they're a voodoo priest. They're also raising a teenage girl, which everyone knows isn't easy. Shirley's totally being a teenager. She's helping out less and less around the house. She wants it to be independent, so she gets a job. And the job is waitressing. One night, Ophelia and her and Shirley go out together to go see a family member that's in the next town. Ophelia, her, and... No, just the two of them. Just Ophelia and Shirley. Ophelia and Shirley. They're going to go visit a family member in the next town. And they drive back home and they have a fight. Because Shirley, like, wants to keep hanging out and go out. And so Shirley leaves in the car. Then the Reverend gets home. And Ophelia's like, Shirley left. You'll never believe it. Let's go looking for her. And they drive to the police station. And they're like, our daughter ran away, basically. And the police are like, oh, she's not missing. She's dead. What looks like happened is that Shirley was having car trouble, had to get out of her car to change a tire and jack it up. And then the car fell on top of her and crushed her. But obviously, that's not the story the autopsy is going to tell, right? It says she was strangled before that car ever Thank fucking, fucking fell on her. Thank fucking God there's some inconsistency. Let me just be clear if you guys aren't I don't, keeping sorry, track. Thank God sounds like, but I'm like, just thank God this is going to be listed as a fucking of homicide. Of course, finally. of course. No, we get that. Shirley has just become the fifth member in eight years of this guy's family to die in a car. Jesus Christ. In mysterious circumstances close to their home. All of them had life insurance policies. And he's the beneficiary. So at this point, when he goes to visit Big Tom, his lawyer, Big Tom Radney, Big Tom Radney's like, dude, I've actually had enough of you. He's and like, I'm I, not, I'm not going to go to bat for you. He's like, I'll go after these insurance companies for payouts, but this is now criminal. But like, he's like, a homicide. you I'm know done. what? Just go see some, no, I'm not doing it. Good for him. So a week after she dies, they're having a funeral at House of Hutchinson Funeral Home. And Reverend Maxwell's kind of like playing it cool. I picture he's got like his hat tipped, you know, low profile styles. Shirley's uncle is there. Robert Burns says he doesn't even realize that Maxwell is there until the mourners start to get up out of the pews and go toward the casket to say their goodbyes. Ophelia goes the first and she starts like crying and being like, I'm going to faint. And so the reverend kind of does the thing where he like catches her and then goes and takes her back to a pew to sit down. Shirley's older sister, Lavinia Lee, 
stops everything, points at Reverend Maxwell and yells, you killed my sister and now you're going to pay for it. <laughs> and at that moment, yes. Shirley's uncle, Burns, Robert Burns, stands up on top of a pew, takes out a pistol and shoots <gasps> Reverend Maxwell three times in the head. He says of the event, I guess I just lost it. Well, I know I did. I lost it, and I just started shooting him. I remember that much. The police show up and arrest him, and he says to them, I had to do it. And if I had to do it over, I'd do it again. 300 people witnessed this crime. 300 people. I can't believe he fucking came to that funeral. I I mean, I can. What a prick. So the trial for Robert Burns begins. Harper Lee goes she's writing this book so she's there it's everyone's there to be clear it's standing room only and by the way i i don't agree with standing room only i can't handle that (laughs) would you standing room only anything you would i have to tell you that when people were doing that with hamilton i was like no i no No. i cannot standing room anything no not interested okay so burns was held for only one night in the county jail and they set his bail at $10,000 and he was released. His brother, William Burns, is like, well, you're going to have to get a lawyer for this thing. Oh, you know who you should hire? Fucking Big Tommy. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Big Tom. <laughs> and Big Tom, he's really good at what he does, right? Now he's on the other side, so to speak. It kind of feels like maybe he wanted redemption, right? Or maybe totally. he feels guilty because he is like, we're going to go temporary insanity. Which is super risky. I don't think that usually works for people. It sounds so bullshitty. But but obviously, in his defense, they're talking a lot about what Reverend Maxwell did. This guy, Alonzo Murphy, comes forward and says, Reverend Maxwell tried to hire me to kill Shirley. And I wouldn't do it. Oh my God. And they bring forth evidence about voodoo related stuff found in I'm skeptical of that of the voodoo sure well look the point is he for sure was killing all these people well and here's the point do they think does the jury think he's insane probably not but do they think Reverend Maxwell was running around killing people definitely so they take 20 minutes and they're like you know what not guilty by reason of insanity and when that's read Everyone applauds in the courtroom. Weird. I know. So then they send this guy, Burns, home to the state hospital. He's insane, right? He just pled insanity. Totally. That's what you have to do. He goes there for a few weeks. They examine him and they're like, you're sane. And they release him as a free man. And that is the story of Reverend Maxwell. I am like, imagine living in this town and being like, that guy keeps killing his family. And then somebody finally fucking kills him. It reminded me of the one you did. Yes, exactly right. Where it's like the whole time is like, or whatever his name was, where everyone was like, this guy sucked. He was a town bully and I am not interested. Like, Better off, like and the difference is, like, goes well. That's why I said whenever I read, people, there were three hundred witnesses. I thought of that story because totally. I was like, this is an instance of everyone going, 
We understand why we, oh, my father is going to roll over on this one. We understand why the law is in place. We understand what the rules are. And sometimes you have to break them when something like this happens. I think what's concerning about this case, though, is like it feels like the last one, Shirley's death, because it was finally listed as a homicide, it feels a little bit frustrating because it's like, oh, wouldn't it have been so sweet if he actually was tried for her death and, like, actually, like, was guilty for it instead of being killed. You know what I mean? Like, there's something about... Yeah, I also think with this particular murder, so it looks like he killed his first wife, he killed his second wife, he killed his second wife's husband... He killed his... Second wife's husband. Yeah, because Dorcas was married and her husband died totally. in mysterious circumstances. Then they were able to marry. I mean, it it's looked like... dry. And, like, sh- He killed his nephew. All, everyone was... Um, but, like, okay. Then he killed a little girl. And I'm not saying any of the other murders were justified or anything right, about 16. it. But I think that the 16-year-old girl... And one thing I really read in a bunch of places... Um, is that he had this life insurance policy on his biological daughter who was like a baby, like a kid. I mean, this guy was... He would have killed. He would have killed. killed anybody. At what point do you stop needing more money, though? Like, at what point are you like, you know what? That's a good question. I've, uh, I've killed enough. I've gotten away with it. But I don't Done. think it can just be that. I mean, I think... Do you think he had more bloodlust? There's got to be a power play... And I think it's yeah, it's a power thing, and it's the bottom line is it's a serial killer. So it's a serial killer, but he has it seems like he has accomplices, right? Or it do you seems think, like Ophelia was one hundred percent involved. And where is she now? She didn't go to jail. She didn't get shot. Ophelia, what happened to you? Dorcas recanting her story makes well, me Dorcas feel a little died. bit like yeah, but it makes me feel like maybe she knew, and then and then she became a victim. Oh, completely. But what were you doing marrying a guy that you're pretty sure killed his wife? That seems like a real questionable aye, choice. Aye, aye. The men in our episodes today I know. Suck. It's real dark. Do not get on Hinge tonight. Let's just go to bed. Well, we can't forget blueberry pie and ice cream. Oh my God, let's have it right now. Okay, goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>